Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. Please be seated. What a delight it is for me to be with you this morning. And I bring greetings from my congregation of Byron United Church in the West End of London, Ontario. It was a delight for me to be with you last summer, except of course none of you were here in the pews. Uh, I came in on a Thursday to pre-record for that upcoming Sunday, and so it's a real delight to be able to uh, be worshiping with some of you that make up the congregation and many others who are worshiping with us online or on the radio. I would like to borrow for a minute from uh, Charles Dickens. He talked about the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, and I'd like to talk for just a minute about the ministers of past, present, and future. I've had the privilege of getting to know your new minister, Jason Biazzi. Uh, back about four or five years ago, he was going to be speaking at a conference in London, and the organizers of the conference asked if I would drive to Detroit and pick him up at the airport and bring him back to London. And so that's when I first met Jason and uh, we had a wonderful opportunity to talk together for a couple hours in the car. He was also a, a speaker at a conference I was at uh, this past spring and so we had the opportunity to connect again. And the leadership in my church has recently used one of his books uh, to help us as we continue to try to grow and to reach out to our wider community. And I know that you're gonna be blessed by Jason and his ministry and I just pray the Lord's blessing upon him and his family and all of you as you begin this next chapter of your life. That was the, the ghost of ministers' future. Uh, as to ministers present, I am very good friends with uh, Reverend Lori Diaz and, uh, Oliver, and Orville James. So we've known each other for about uh, 10 or 11 years now. And uh, I'm sorry that neither of them are able to be here this morning. I would have been glad to spend more time with them. But I'm, uh, I'm delighted that they are here and, and ministering uh, to you and, and with you here at Timothy Eden. And the ghost of ministers past. I, my, my wife Angie and I have known uh, Reverend Dr. Andrew Sterling for 30 years. We were attending uh, his congregation in Ottawa about 30 years ago when we were students there at Carleton University. And uh, I am also uh, have known uh, your former minister, Chris Miller, for about the last eight or 10 years as well. And so I, I just feel so blessed to be here with you today. And uh, I don't know many of you, but I've had the opportunity to, to at least say hello to some of you. And uh, uh, there's a few of you that uh, know members of my congregation as well. And members of the Welsh community here uh, are, are friends with some of the Welsh people in my congregation in London. And so it's wonderful to have that connection. A couple of years ago, uh, one of our staff members was retiring, and so I was looking through our church's photo albums. We have had very prolific photographers at my congregation over the, the decades, and so there are albums upon albums of pictures of church members and church events, and uh, they've done a very good job of making sure that the dates and the names of many of the people in those pictures are on those, those pictures in the album. And I was looking through to, to find pictures that related to the staff member who was retiring, and I came across a picture that just stopped me in my tracks. It was taken in 1998. And in this photo, there is the Reverend Dr. Andrew Sterling and Dr. Earl Russell. 
who's a member of my congregation. And I hadn't realized this, but back in 1998, Reverend Sterling came to Byron United in London and was the guest preacher for a particular Sunday. And uh, as I said, you know, we've known Andrew for 30 years now, and so it was wonderful to, to it was well before I'd been at London, but uh, it was wonderful to think that he had been there as well and, and knew some of the same people that uh, I'm blessed to know uh, during my time at Byron United. And so I've got a picture, uh, a copy of that photograph on my office wall, and it brings me joy each time I look at it. Uh, Reverend Dr. Andrew Sterling and medical doctor Earl Russell. Earl Russell. And occasionally someone will come into my office and they'll see that picture and they'll say, oh, I, I recognize Dr. Russell, but who's the other fellow? And so I get to tell them about Andrew. And occasionally another minister is with me in my office and they may say, oh, I recognize Andrew Sterling, but who's the other fellow? The title of my message today is, but who are you? But who are you? The city of Ephesus, where the events of today's scripture passage take place, is near the southwest coast of Turkey. How many of you have been to Ephesus? Has anyone been to Ephesus? One, two, three? Yeah, I'm seeing at least three hands. I've never been there. But Ephesus, 2,000 years ago, was a major metropolitan, a city of 200,000 people. There was the temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, about the size of a football field, a Canadian football field, 425 feet long, 225 feet wide, massive structure held up by 127 marble columns, each one of them 60 feet tall, fairly similar to the height of this ceiling. Those 127 marble columns were inlaid with precious jewels and gold. The temple of Artemis, one of the goddesses of the ancient world. And there were many silversmiths in Ephesus who devoted their careers to making images and idols to the goddess Artemis that travelers would buy to either have in their homes or perhaps take back to a shrine to Artemis in whatever town or city they may be from. There were people there from all over the world. There were a lot of magicians, people into sorcery, astrology. And it was in Ephesus that Paul arrived in about the year 51. So about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul was on his second missionary journey. Now back about eight or ten years ago I went on a mission trip to Mexico. Some of us from the congregation went down to Mexico for ten days. How many of you have been on a mission trip? A few, yes. Paul's mission trip was not a mere 10 days. It was about four years. He'd left Jerusalem and traveled north to what we call Turkey, 
traveled across the interior of Turkey, stopping and staying in various towns and cities, proclaiming Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who had died on a Roman cross, who had risen from the dead, who had appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He proclaimed that God was pouring out his Holy Spirit upon all who would receive. And that people's lives were being transformed. People were being healed. Evil spirits were being cast out. So Paul, on his missionary journey, as I say, he traveled across the interior of Turkey to Macedonia, spent some time in various towns and cities in Macedonia, traveled south to the east coast of Greece, doing the same thing, and was now on his way back to Jerusalem. And so he took a ship from Greece over to Ephesus. And when he arrived, he sought out the local Jewish community. There were Jewish communities throughout most of the Roman Empire. And so he found the local Jewish community, the local synagogue, and so, as was his custom, Paul began to proclaim that their long-awaited Messiah had come. His name was Jesus. He'd been born in Bethlehem. He'd grown up in Nazareth. He'd taught. He'd healed. He'd performed miracles. And yes, was crucified by the Romans. But on the third day, rose from the dead. Paul preached in the Jewish synagogue in Ephesus for three months. If you think this sermon is long, try sitting through a three-month sermon. I'm joking, of course. But after about three months of preaching to the Jews, some of them got a little tired of hearing this message. There were some who received and became believers in Jesus Christ, but there were others who got very fed up with Paul. And so they stopped him from preaching in the synagogue anymore. And Paul began to preach in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. No relation to Tyrannosaurus Rex, I'm afraid. And for three years, Paul preached in the lecture hall in Ephesus. Now, he wouldn't have been there every day. He had to make a living, and so we know that he was a tent maker. And so he would uh, spend perhaps a few afternoons a week in the lecture hall, a public forum where there would be all kinds of people uh, preaching, teaching, arguing, debating, perhaps uh, students with their sitting around their teacher, all kinds of, of learning debating, sharing going on. It was the, the Facebook of the, the ancient world. For two years, Paul proclaimed Jesus in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. People came to faith in this Lord Jesus. They received the Holy Spirit. They were baptized. Their lives were changed. And a Christian community was born. They learned what it meant to live in that community, to forgive, to be forgiven, to share, to, to assist and help one another, and to receive assistance, to turn to the Lord regularly in prayer, to do that together. Timothy Eaton is a place for life. You are a congregation where those same things are happening. All Christian Congregations should be communities where faith is alive, where people are learning how to grow into their Christian life and faith. 
I want to ask you a question. This question showed up on my Facebook page a few weeks ago. The question was, who is the most famous person that you have ever met? Who's the most famous person that you'd ever met? And I, I stopped when I saw that on my screen and I thought about it for a few minutes. Now, right off, I thought, well, I've been to a number of music concerts with famous musicians. I've been to a few sporting events with famous athletes. But I don't remember actually meeting any of those people. I only saw them from a distance. So I had to think about it a little more. Who's the most famous person that I've actually met? And I guess I need to get out a little more. Because the conclusion I landed on, if you were to ask the, you know, the average person on the street, and I should say, you know, as a minister, I've had the opportunity to meet some other famous ministers, some theologians. But if you were to ask the average person walking down the street if they'd heard of, you know, Reverend Dr. So-and-so, the chances are they haven't. You know, everyone's heard of Billy Graham, but other than him, most people in Canada, the average person, wouldn't know very many ministers or theologians. So they were not really on my list of consideration. Who's the most famous person I've met? Well, I was about seven or eight, and I got into line with other children and their parents, and I got to the front of the line, and there at the table, signing autographs, was Bob from Sesame Street. Some of you may be old enough, sort of my age or up, to remember Bob from Sesame Street. I got his autograph. I got to have a few sentences with him. And as I say, I probably need to get out a little more. But when we meet someone famous, it's very much in our human nature to do a little name dropping, isn't it? Oh, you'll never guess who I ran into as I came out of the store down the street. You know, so-and-so. Or, you know, there, you know, across the restaurant was so-and-so having dinner. We like to do that. And now with, with our cell phones, it's very easy to take a selfie to, to provide proof that we actually met this famous person. Who's the most famous person that you've met? There were some exorcists traveling around, charging money, and trying to command evil spirits to come out of people who were possessed. I'm sure they had various prayers, various commands. Perhaps they had some physical objects that they manipulated. Perhaps some objects that they pressed against the, the, uh, the person to try to command, to try to have some power, some leverage over that evil spirit and, and order it to come out. They happened to be in Ephesus, and during their time there, they heard more and more about this Jesus who Paul was preaching. Perhaps they saw some people come to faith in Jesus. Perhaps they heard them speaking in tongues. They thought, here's a power. Perhaps this will give us more leverage over these unclean spirits, and so they tried it. There was a man with an unclean spirit. And so they said, 
to the unclean spirit in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches. I command you to come out. In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches. That would be like you saying, in the name of the Jesus whom Reverend Lorian Orville preach, I command you. And what happened? The evil spirit answered them. Speaking through that man, the evil spirit said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? And he jumped on them, ripping their clothes, biting them, making them bleed. And they ran out of that house naked and bleeding. The question posed by that evil spirit is a valid question that a lot of us struggle with. But who are you? But who are you to think that you could have any control, any power, any authority over a spirit of anxiety, over a spirit of callousness, over a spirit of doubt, over a spirit of fear? Who are you? to think that you could fight back or resist such a spirit. A spirit of stress. A spirit of terror. Who are you to resist? Who are you to call yourself a Christian? You know you're only a hypocrite. Who are you to come and receive Holy Communion? Who are you to think that you are worthy to do that? Who are you to think that Jesus loves you? Who are you to think that your Heavenly Father forgives you your sins? Who are you to think that you should be serving in the church family, on a committee, on a Sunday morning? Who are you? You're nothing. You're nobody. That is what the evil spirits say. And it wears so many of us down and stops us from being the people we were made to be in Jesus Christ. Who is the most famous person you've ever met? When I thought about that a little more afterwards, I realized that there's someone much more famous than Bob from Sesame Street that I know. It's Jesus. I hope that all of us can say that we know Jesus. He's even more famous than the Beatles.
although some would argue with that, perhaps. Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Not like those exorcists who simply knew about Jesus, but do you know him? Have you felt his presence? Have you heard him speaking to you? Have you heard him directing you? Have you seen how he's brought people into your life to direct you and bless you, protect you? Because if you know Jesus, you know the most famous person there is. You know the most powerful person there is. And it doesn't matter if you've rubbed shoulders with the rich and famous or not. You are someone in Jesus Christ. Because when you know him, you know that he loves you. When you know him, you know that your heavenly father forgives you. You know that you are a child of God. You know that you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You know that the Lord has prepared a place for you for all eternity. And you know that you have a, a purpose and a plan for this life, this church, this world in the here and now. That is who we are in Jesus Christ. After this failed exorcism, many more people came to faith in Jesus Christ in Ephesus. They saw the power of Jesus Christ. They saw the work of the Holy Spirit of the living God. They hungered for that. They gave their lives to him and they joined that burgeoning church. And many of them who'd been magicians, practiced witchcraft and sorcery, they brought their magic scrolls, they brought their idols, their special charms, and they burned them. Burned them publicly. They burned about five million dollars worth of religious paraphernalia because they were done with it. They had found new life in Jesus Christ and everything else was rubbish. Now you might say, well Greg, why wouldn't they just sell those things and use that five million dollars to, to bless a lot of people? You can do a lot with five million dollars. When the alcoholic is delivered from alcohol, he or she doesn't want to sell their liquor cabinet. They don't want to give away all those bottles. They want to pour them down the drain so that they don't harm anyone else. When the gambling addict is delivered in meeting Jesus Christ, they want to destroy the poker table throw away the bingo dabbers. That is why they didn't simply sell them, to put those horrible things in the hands of other people. They had found new life in Jesus Christ and knew that all these other roads led to darkness and led to many other unclean spirits. And so I ask you, I leave you with this question. Do you know Jesus? 
And if you do, what else is there in your life that you may need to set fire to? To burn? Now, I'm not suggesting anything literally being burned. But what is it that in your life that needs to be destroyed? Forsaken, let go of. Because it continues to weigh you down. To stop you from being that child of God that you were made to be. Only you can answer that question. And only you can rejoice in knowing your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be given all the power and praise and glory in the church and in the world, now and forevermore. And let all the people say, Amen.